You're listening to Amazing Discoveries Audio. This is For Such a Time as This, Episode 1, with Daniel Pell. All right, good evening and welcome to our presentation tonight. Uh, we are about to embark upon a journey in Scripture, and this series has as title, For Such a Time as This. And we're going to go into God's words, we're going to explore prophecies, we're going to explore parables, we're going to um, go into depth of passages that show us our identity and mission for such a time as this that we are living in. Uh, we are living in exciting times, we're living in serious times, we are living, I believe, on the very borders of eternity, on the very verge of eternity. And... I pray that you will be able to follow as we study God's Word, and not only that you will be able to follow, but that you will be inspired and motivated, and that you will find your role in this uh, end times that we are living in. And so what I want to do is I want to begin with a word of prayer, and then we will get right into our first topic, which is lost but found. So I invite you to pray together with me. Dear Heavenly Father, we are thankful that we can come together here tonight. We are thankful that we can study your word, and we ask that you will be with us, that you will guide us, and that you will send your Holy Spirit to speak to us, each one of us individually. And Lord, that you will allow this message to touch our hearts and our minds, and that we may be drawn closer to you through this. May you be with me, Lord. May my words not be my words, but your words. And may I be an instrument in your hand to communicate this message that you have for each of us. And we thank you that you are with us, for you have promised that your Holy Spirit will guide us and lead us into your truth. For these things we pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I hope you have your Bibles with you. We will need those during this series. Um, this is going to be a real Bible study. And uh, I want to invite you to take your Bibles this evening and turn with me to the Gospel of Luke. And we're going to look at Luke chapter 15. And in Luke chapter 15, we encounter three parables, three parables, very well-known stories that Jesus taught, that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15. But what I want to do tonight is I want to go uh, a little bit deeper than the surface and I want to see if we can discover some uh, new insights into these parables. And I believe these parables are told for a reason. They are taught for a reason. And as we are going to see tonight, these are parables that speak to our hearts, that speak to the very necessary things that we need in life. And so turn with me, if you would, to Luke chapter 15, where our study is going to start this evening and um, where our presentation series is going to start. Uh, as I mentioned uh, earlier, this is a presentation series entitled For Such a Time as This. And we have in total 11 presentations in this series dealing with our identity and mission in the very days in which we are living. And we're going to use parables, we're going to use prophecies, we're going to use passages in Scripture to examine our identity and mission in light of the Scriptures. So I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 15, and we're going to just start right there in the beginning of this chapter, and we're going to 
see if we, if we can learn something new or maybe something familiar, but in a new light of these three parables that Jesus spoke for us in Luke chapter 15. So let us begin in verse 1, chapter 15, verse 1. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. And the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So here we see in this context who Jesus is talking to. Jesus is addressing tax collectors and sinners, and he's also addressing the Pharisees and the scribes. This is the the audience that Jesus is dealing with here in Luke chapter 15, a wide spectrum of people. And really, all these people have something in common, and that is that they are lost without Christ. They are lost without the saving power of Jesus. Jesus speaks here three parables, teaches three parables. And in these three parables, he really is reaching out to all humanity in a powerful and compelling way. See, a parable is a simple illustrative story, and yet it is teaching profound and deep and beautiful things. And in these three illustrative stories in Luke chapter 15, Jesus is reaching out to all classes of humanity. As a matter of fact, the three parables that you find in Luke chapter 15, and we're going to look at each one of them separately tonight, is the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and then thirdly, the parable of the lost son. Many of you will be familiar with these parables. When you think about these three parables, they really encompass all humanity, as I said earlier. The parable of the lost sheep is dealing with people that are lost, like a sheep that was lost, but that don't know their way back. They know that they're lost. They realize that they are, have been separated from God, but they don't know their way back. The parable of the lost sheep. Then you have the parable of the lost coin. The coin doesn't know it is lost, and it doesn't know the way back. There are people in this world that are lost and that have no idea they are lost, and they don't know their way back. Then you have the parable of the lost son. The lost son knows he is lost and he knows the way back. So you have here three parables, very interesting, encompassing all humanity. Some of us uh, can identify with the lost sheep. Others can identify with the lost coin. Others can identify with the lost son. Whoever you are, you will be able to identify with one of them. And as you come to Jesus Christ, as you come to know him, you will be able to find yourself in one of these parables. And so what we're going to do is we're going to study them one by one, and we're going to look at the depth of, of Christ's teaching in these simple illustrative stories. And we begin with the first parable in Luke chapter 15, the parable of the lost Sheep, And I'm just going to read this parable. It's not a very long parable. We read from Luke chapter 15, beginning in verse 3. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine just persons who need no repentance." 
The parable encaptures the very mission of Jesus himself. You see, Jesus is, of course, the good shepherd. Though he owned a hundred worlds that were not fallen, he yet chose to come to this fallen planet. His eyes were on you and on me as we had, been, as we had gone astray. You see, the sheep realized it was lost, but it didn't know the way back. And the shepherd goes and searches out that sheep, that lost sheep, and then he places it on his shoulder. But think about the fact that the mission of Jesus Christ involved his very death and his very resurrection. And that very death of Christ was necessary for Christ, for, for, for him to take you and to take me and to place us on his shoulder and bring us back to that fold. Verse 5, it says, and when he, is, he was found, he lay, uh, and when he was found, talking about the lost sheep, he lays it on his shoulder, and then it says rejoicing. Christ rejoices in every single soul that is found, in every person that comes to know him. The sheep belongs to the shepherd, just like in the second parable that we're going to look at in a moment, the coin belongs to the woman. And so in the third parable as well, the son belongs to the father. There's, there's something that is running through each of these teachings, each of these parables, and that is the, uh, the aspect of ownership. You know, God, we belong to God because he created us. And he not only created us, but he also redeemed us. So we could say that we belong to Christ twice through creation and through redemption. And when you look at the creation story, it's incredible to read the, the intimate relationship that God has to man. When God created the world, he spoke everything into existence. He spoke light into existence. He spoke the stars into existence, the moon, uh, the animals, the fish, the birds, the mountains, the, the, the flowers. Everything was spoken into existence. But when it came to man, speaking was not enough. And so you read in the creation story how, how this, this picture of God himself stooping down and creating man from the dust of the earth and then breathing his own breath and man becomes a living being. It's powerful. If you ever doubt, doubt whether we serve a close God or a distant God, go and read the creation story. It reveals that God is close to man. And this is the picture that we also see in this first parable. Jesus Christ being that shepherd is not sitting back when that, loss, when, when that sheep is lost. As a shepherd, he goes out, searches for that one, and when he finds that one lost sheep, he places it on his shoulder with great rejoicing. And so it is with, with, with you and me. Uh, if we, when we are in that lost condition, Christ himself comes, finds us, and places us on his shoulder. In this world today, there's a... Uh, a, a, a thought about God, there's this thinking about God as if he's some distant uh, God, some faraway uh, person on a throne that is not interested in our lives today. I came across this very interesting um, quotation from Rabbi Zacharias in his book, Has Christianity Failed You? And he, he writes the following. He says, I think the reason we sometimes have the false sense that God is so far away is because that is where we have put him. And then he continues and he says, we have kept him at a distance. And then when we are in need and call on him in prayer, we wonder where he is. And then he says the following. He says, he is exactly where we left him. Many times we, we place God over there 
and then we wonder where he is, but in our minds we've really placed him so far away, and then we're, when we're in need, we, we search for him, and we expect him to be close, but he's exactly where we left him in our minds, far, far away. And for many people, God is that God that sits somewhere out there in the corner of the universe upon a throne, now and then intervening, but basically we're left on our own. But this is not the God that the scriptures present. This is not the God that the scriptures describe. As a matter of fact, throughout this series, for such a time as this, we want to explore the character of God. We want to look deep at who God really is and what he has called us to be. What kind of value has he placed upon us as human beings? When you look, uh, when you trace back um, the different worldviews that, uh, that have come into existence, and, and especially over the last couple of hundred years, it's amazing and incredible to see how man has drifted further and further away from the understanding of God. And you just look at the uh, 1800s, and in the 1800s there was a worldview that rose uh, to prominence, and that is the worldview of what we know as deism. And deism basically teaches that God somehow started all of this, but he's no longer intricately involved in our lives today. And so uh, this, this very concept of God being somewhere up there and we're somewhere down here really gives birth to other worldviews that distance ourselves even further from the creator God. Deism, saying that God is somewhere up there and we're somewhere down here and, and he started it but he's not really involved in it any longer, eventually gave birth to evolution because evolution says, well, you know, if God is not really involved, let's come up with a different explanation about the origin of life. And so you have evolution and, and, and gradually evolution uh, gives, of course, birth to other worldviews like materialism. Well, if it's, all, it's only about matter and energy. And materialism, again, gives birth to humanism. Well, if it's only about matter and energy, well, then the human being is the most advanced, and so the universe really revolves around man. And so gradually what we're seeing throughout the course of these various worldviews that have come into existence over the last couple of hundred of years is that man is drifting further and further and further away from their maker. And so here in these three illustrative teachings in Luke chapter 15, Christ is trying to bring us back to the center of the universe. And the center of the universe is not about man, but it's about God and his character. And God's character displays also the value that God puts on man. And that's where man comes into the picture. And so Christ being that shepherd goes out, searches for that sheep. And when he finds him, with rejoicing, he places, him, places it, the sheep on his shoulder. And so it is with you and with me. Christ is searching, and when he finds us with rejoicing, he will bring us to his very fold. You know, the rabbis, they had a saying in the days that Jesus taught this parable. The saying of the rabbi went as following. There is rejoicing in heaven when one sinner against God is destroyed. That was a saying in the, days of the, in the days of Jesus. The rabbi said there is rejoicing in heaven when one sinner against God is destroyed. And so the, the, the very parable of Jesus, the first parable of Luke chapter 15, was very radical. It was turning around the concept that existed in the minds of people. In the minds of people, there was rejoicing when a sinner was destroyed. And what does Jesus say? He says there in verse 7, I say you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who does what? Repents. 
than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. This was a paradigm shift for the people in those days. What Jesus is doing is he's painting a new picture of God. He's painting uh, this, this incredible, beautiful uh, picture of who God, in essence, in reality, really is. And contrasting this with the existing picture of God, a God that was distant, a God that was angry, a God that wanted sinners to be destroyed. And yet, Jesus, in this first parable of Luke chapter 15, brings us to the very heart of the gospel, the very heart of the gospel being Christ taking the initiative, God taking the initiative, God searching and finding that lost soul, that person that has gone astray and doesn't know the way back. You know, many times we say in our Christian experiences, I've heard it over and over again as I travel to different countries and, and hold seminars like these, you know, I, I will hear people say, you know, I found Christ at such and such a point in my life. I found the Lord at such and such a moment. And I, I understand exactly what they mean, and, and, and I think it's, it's, it's good to hear such testimonies. But when you really think about it, we tend to say, I found Christ. I found God. I found the Lord. But in reality, he found you. Isn't that right? I mean, when you look at the, the heart of the story from Genesis to Revelation, it's not about us finding him, it's about him finding us. As a matter of fact, God always takes the first step. He always makes that first step. He is, is searching for us and he finds us. And then we, we have this moment of awareness that he is actually there to guide our lives. We have this moment of awareness that he is actually there to take hold of us and to bring us into a new direction, to bring us to a new path, a new road. And so these experiences that we have with him strengthen our faith and give us purpose, give us an identity and a mission in life. And that's exactly what we want to focus on throughout this series together uh, for such a time as this, the time in which we are living it, 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 if there's anything that we need more is that we have a clear understanding of who we are and why we are here at this very time in earth's history. You know, for such a time as this, this is taken from the story of Esther. Some of you will be familiar with the story. Uh, Esther, she became a, a queen uh, in Persia through divine, uh, divine outworking of events. And um, when her people were in grave danger... She stood up for them, and she had a specific position as queen to exercise authority and to exercise her influence to actually uh, divert um, a threat that came upon her people. Many of you will be familiar with that story. Uh, the, the, the very saying, the very phrase for such a time as this was actually spoken to Esther by her uncle Mordecai and making her aware of her position and influence at that time that God had led her there, brought her there so that she could now work for her people. And I believe in, in, in the same way we living today are here for such a time as this. We are living for a very specific purpose. We're living in a very specific time and God has an identity and a mission for each one of us and we want to discover what that identity and mission is all about. 
And I believe by, by, by looking at these parables in Luke chapter 15, it gives us a perspective of the character of God and the plan that he has for each one of us. And what I want us to, to grasp tonight, if there's nothing else that we take from this message, I want you to take this, is that we belong to God. We belong to him through creation and we belong to him through redemption. The sheep belonged to the shepherd. And that's why Christ, the being the shepherd, is not content with missing that sheep. He's not content with you not being in the fold. And so he goes out because you belong to him. It's a natural outworking of the understanding of belonging. And so as we move to the second parable, I think this, this, this uh, will come very strongly through in, in, in the second teaching of Jesus here in Luke chapter 15, the parable of the lost coin. Let's read it uh, here. It's just three verses. Luke chapter 15, a very short parable, the second parable in the chapter. And take notice of another illustrative teaching of Jesus that just strikes uh, the very need of humanity at its root. And it says, what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together saying, rejoice with me for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, the second parable is similar in its nature to the first, but it's a little different. In both parables, something is lost and something is found. As a matter of fact, we will see that in all three parables, something is lost, something is found. It's a reoccurring theme in this chapter, in this sequence of teachings of Jesus. And yet the coin is different than the sheep. Now listen to this quotation here. It's taken from the book Christ Object Lessons. By the way, a powerful book if you want to go in depth into these incredible parables of Jesus. And here we read on page 193, talking about the parable of the lost coin. Listen very carefully to what it says. This parable, like the preceding, sets forth the loss of something which with proper search may be recovered, and that with great joy. But the two parables represent different classes. The lost sheep knows that it is lost. It has left the shepherd and the flock, and it cannot recover itself. It represents those who realize they are separated from God and who are in a cloud of perplexity and humiliation and sorely tempted. The lost coin represents those who are lost in trespasses and sins, but who have no sense of their condition. They are estranged from God, but they know it not. Their souls are in peril, but they are unconscious and unconcerned. In this parable, Christ teaches that even those who are indifferent to the claims of God are the objects of his pitying love. They're, they are to be sought for that they may be brought back to God. So very clearly, uh, we're talking here about different classes of people. They're all lost and they all need to be found. But the sheep knows it is lost. It has an awareness that it's not in the fold anymore, but it doesn't know how to get back. And so we read about the shepherd, Jesus, searching out the sheep, placing it on his shoulders with great joy and bringing it back into the fold. The second parable is different in nature. Here it's about a coin. The coin doesn't know it is lost and doesn't know that it needs to be found. There's no awareness at this time. And there is a large class of people in the world that just have no idea and, and no awareness that they need to be saved. I mean, if you would say to them, you need to be saved, they would say, saved from what? 
And sometimes we, we, we hear this reoccurring phrase of Jesus saves, Jesus saves, and it makes absolutely no sense to a lot of people in this world because they will ask the question, what do I need to be saved from? I mean, I'm doing perfectly okay. And so if we don't understand what we need to be saved from, then the phrase Jesus saves really has no meaning. And so first we have to understand the condition we are in without Christ in order to appreciate his salvation. And the lost coin has no idea. As a matter of fact, in this parable, it talks about a woman that lightens a lamp in order to search the house to find the coin. The coin is lost in the house. It doesn't know where it is. And so she lights the lamp and, and searches for it. I believe that this parable has deep uh, and, and, and profound, uh, profound uh, teachings for us today. Think about it. In Bible prophecy, um, a woman is often represented... Um, as uh, the, the picture or the image of the church. It's very powerful. You look from all the way from all the, all the way back to the beginning in Genesis, all the way to Revelation, the last book of the Bible, you will find this incredible, beautiful picture of Jesus Christ being the bridegroom and the church of Christ being the bride or the woman. As a matter of fact, you come to the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, and you will find in the book of Revelation two women. You will find one in Revelation chapter 12 and one in Revelation chapter 17. And if you go into a deeper study uh, of those two passages, those two chapters, you will find out that one is the true bride of Jesus Christ and the other is the counterfeit bride, or it is a church that is professing to be, to be Christ's bride, but in reality is not. And that's an entire study for itself. But throughout the Bible, we see this picture that the church of God is represented by a woman or the bride of Christ. Now take that picture and put it into the parable here of Luke chapter 15. And what do we have? We have the church searching for the lost coin. And isn't that, the, isn't that really the reason that the church exists? Doesn't the, the church exist as a body of believers to reach out and to search for those that are lost and to reach out to those that don't even know that they are lost? Amen? I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the function, that's the uh, existence, um, the very uh, mission and identity of God's, God's movement, God's church, God's bride. And so she lightens a lamp. Now, to lighten a lamp in those days, what they would often use was the oil lamps. And uh, again, you can go deeper into Scripture, and it's, and it's powerful to see that oil is a representation of the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit is that which gives light and that works through God's people in order for them to be a witness and for, the, for them to reach out to those that are lost. And so we have these powerful uh, pictures in Scripture of, 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 of what the mission is for God's, God's chosen church, God's chosen, chosen bride uh, in, in, in the, throughout history and particularly in such a time as this in which we are living. As a matter of fact, in Revelation chapter 18, why don't we just shortly go there? We'll come back to Luke 15 in just a moment. But in Revelation chapter 18, you have this incredible picture of the earth being lightened up with the glory of God. Beautiful. Revelation 18 and verse 1 Look at what it says. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. So the earth is lightened up or illuminated with the glory of God, just like the house had to be illuminated with the, through the lamp in order to find the coin. And 
what's going to happen is in these days in which we are living, this is talking in a very uh, last day setting, in, in the days prior to the coming of Jesus, there's going to be a light, a light that is really a representation of the word or the truth of the Holy Spirit that is going to shine in this world to such an extent that the earth, it says, was going to, is going to be illuminated with the glory of God. Now, the glory of God is really the character of God. You might remember the story of Moses back in, back in Exodus. He, he asked the Lord, he says, show me thy glory. And uh, you can read about this in Exodus chapter 33 and 34. And, and you read about how uh, the Lord proclaims his name or his character to Moses. So Moses says, show me thy glory. And the Lord proclaims his name, proclaims his character. So the glory of God is really synonymous with the character of God. And so what we see here in this end time setting is that there's going to be a message that is going to reveal the character of God. And that message is going to draw in those that are lost. It's going to have this drawing power because it's going to put on display the very character of God. And isn't that which draws people when they understand who God really is and his mission to save? You know, I want to look a little bit uh, closer at this, um, at this parable here in Luke chapter 15. The lost coin, take, take notice of the same result um, as in the first parable when the coin is found we read in verse 9 and 10 and when she has found it she calls her friends and neighbors together saying rejoice with me for i have found the the peace which i lost likewise i say to you there is joy in the presence of the angels of god over one sinner who repents so just like in the first parable when there's great joy when the sheep is found so in the second parable there is great joy when the coin is found now what what must what what do you think that coin looked like when it was found you know it'd been it had been lost it had probably been under you know some trash or it, it was filthy it was it was dirty and she found that coin and when she placed it next to those other nine coins remember she had ten coins one was lost when she placed that one coin that was lost besides the other nine there was immediately you would see the difference nine of them were shining they were they were lust they had luster they had they were shining they were polished up and this one coin didn't look so nice it didn't look, it, it, it was filthy. It was, but think about this for a moment. It had the very same value, right? I mean, if you, if you take coins in your pocket and you go and you buy something in the shop, does it matter if that coin is dirty or not? Are they, they take it, right? I mean, the, the value is not different. And I think this is, this is really something of this parable that just jumps out of the text those that are lost have the same value in the eyes of God. Amen? Those that are lost have the very same value in the eyes of God. Listen to this quotation also taken from Christ Object Lessons, page 194. It says, The coin, though lying among dust and rubbish, is a piece of silver still. Its owner seeks it because of the value. So every soul, however degraded by sin, is in God's sight accounted precious. As the coin bears the image and superscription of the reigning power, so man at his creation bore the image and superscription of God. 
And though now marred and dimmed through the influence of sin, the traces of this inscription remain upon every soul. God desires to recover that soul and to retrace upon it his own image in righteousness and holiness. Now, I want to look a little bit deeper at this because this is, this is incredible. We, each one of us, you and me, all of us, everyone in the world, whether they know it or they don't know it, are created in the image of God. We are all created in the image of God from the very first human being. We have uh, the imprint of the divine upon us. Now, that imprint has been marred by sin over many generations, and it almost cannot be seen anymore, but it's still there. And it shows that we belong to our maker. There's a sense of belonging. We belong to him. As a matter of fact, there's this, this, this encounter that Jesus had with the Pharisees. If you go back to the book of Matthew, chapter 22, this incredible encounter, this incredible conversation uh, that reveals a little bit of what we're talking about here tonight. If you turn to Matthew, chapter 22, and we're going to pick it up in verse 15. Look at this conversation between Jesus and the scribes and the Pharisees and concerning the value of man and, and we're going to we're going to look at this this conversation here and i want to read it here from beginning in verse 15 the pharisees they were trying to uh, get jesus into a corner they were trying to uh, plot how they could entangle him in his talk that's what the bible says in verse 15 look at what they do uh, verse 16 it says and they sent to him their disciples with the herodians saying teacher we know that you are true and teach the way of God in truth, nor do you care about anyone, for you do not regard the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, this is the question. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Now, verse 18, Jesus, he answers. He perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrites? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, whose image and inscription is this? Now take notice of the question of Jesus. He's looking at the coin. He's holding that coin in his hand. And he's asking the question, whose image and inscription is this? Looking at the coin. Now verse 21, they said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar and to God, what? The things that are God's. And when he had heard these things, they marveled and left him and went their way. Now, this uh, person that is asking the question is not an honest um, searcher for truth. As a matter of fact, he's trying to entangle Jesus. He's trying to press Jesus into a corner. And so he asks this question, you know, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? As, after Jesus has answered, he goes away. You see, if he was a truthful seeker, if he was really searching to know the will of God... There's like a question that just begs to be asked here. And that question would be, what belongs to God? Because Jesus says, he says, Pay to, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. Now, we already know what belongs to Caesar because according to this, this passage, that which belongs to Caesar is that coin which has his image and inscription. Now, the man asking the question should have asked, there's like a question that just begs to be asked here, and that's the question, what belongs to God? And what would be the answer to that question? That which bears the image and inscription of God, right? Now, what bears the image and inscription of God? You and me. 
right? From creation, you go all the way back to Genesis, and you read about God creating man, not speaking him into existence as the stars and as the moon and the sun and, the, and, and everything that we behold in this planet. No, not speaking into existence, but creating with his own hands and his own breath. And the Bible says, let us make man in our image, in our image. We are created in the image of God. We are created not in, only in the image of God. We have the, the, the inscription upon us. It's like it's part of us. And so when you come to this parable in, in, in Luke chapter 15, and it talks about a coin that is lost and a coin that is found, the coin belongs to the woman. It is hers. And so it is that you and I belong to God. Why? Because we have the inscription of God in our lives. He, we, we, we bear his image, and so we belong to him. Now, that image and inscription has been lost by, in many ways, it has been marred by sin, but it's still there. And just like that one coin that was filthy, uh, and, and when it was found, if you placed it with the other coins, the other coins were shining with luster, and this one coin is dirty. It, 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 was, it had been trampled on. It didn't look as nice, but it had the same value. And so it is with those that are brought, that are found, that were lost but are found, they have the very same value because they bear the inscription of God. They have the value placed upon them by their creator. And so we have this parable in Luke chapter 15, these two parables that we've looked at so far, the parable of the lost sheep and the parable of the lost coin. Parable of the lost sheep talking about those that are lost and they know that they're lost, but they don't know the way back. Jesus finds them and brings them back to his fold. Then we have the lost coin, doesn't know it's lost, doesn't know the way back, has no awareness of the situation they are in. And God finds just such people, brings them back. Why? Because they belong to him. They're his. He has created them. He has redeemed them. They bear the image and inscription of the maker. Now, I want to look at the last parable here in Luke chapter 15, which is the parable of the lost son. Maybe even the most known parable of Luke chapter 15. Uh, an incredible story that Jesus tells, not about just one son, but about two sons and their story. And I want to read a little bit of the parable here in Luke chapter 15, starting in verse 11. And you can read along in your Bibles in verse 11. Then he said, a certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. I want you to take notice what is happening here. The son, the younger son, is asking for, for the possession of his fathers, for the, that which belongs to him. Basically, the younger son is acting here as if his father had already died. He is requiring his inheritance, and his father is still alive. So this shows us a little bit of what is going on here in this story. Uh, he wants that which belongs to him, and he, and he takes those belongings. And then it says in verse 13, And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. 
Verse 15, then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Now, what's going on here? He is going from a high position to a very low position. He's going from a state of having everything to a state of having nothing. And it is in that nothingness, it's in that state of, of, of a humility that he comes to his senses and starts actually thinking about what he has done. And then the Bible says here in the story, Jesus explaining this, giving us this, this illustrative teaching to call to our attention, our relationship, our connection with our Father. Look at what it says. And in many ways, the story reflects upon what we many times do uh, in, in, in situations in our life, in our Christian walk. Verse um, 18, uh, verse 17. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise, go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants." So he comes up with a plan. He comes up with, 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 with a good, what he thinks a good solution. He says, okay, um, I, I've sinned against my father. I'm going to go back. I'm going to tell him that I've sinned against him. But then I'm going to ask if I can be a hired servant. When you look at verse 18 and 19, it really reveals the plan that he came up with. And that plan had two parts. He said in verse 18, what, what, what was he going to say to his father? He says, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And then verse 19, he adds to it, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So confessing and then saying like, this is what I can do for you. So he makes his way back to his father and take notice what happens. The story continues in verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. Verse 22. But the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And then the the parable continues how the father makes a great feast and celebrates the fact that his son that was lost has now been found, is now returned. Now, there's a lot that we can learn from this parable. But what I want to bring out tonight in this presentation, in this study, is the character of God. Because God is a God that takes the initiative. God is a God that searches for us. We've seen that in the parable of the lost sheep. We've seen that in the parable of the lost coin. We see it in this parable as well. The father is reaching out. Even when the son realizes he is lost and makes his way back to his father, it is really... uh, Interesting to see that as he approaches his father, in his mind he has a different picture of his father than his father in reality is. Because what does he say? He says, I will, I'm going to go back to my father. I'm going to be one of his servants. But then when he comes to his father, the father takes him in as his son. And, 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 and there's, no, there's not even talk about him being a servant. He's the son. Many times we, when we think about our Heavenly Father, we think of it in, in, in the setting of being a servant when 
God, the Father, is asking us to be his sons and daughters. Now, of course, there, 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 there is a place in which we can say that, that the Christian life is about being a servant, for sure. But primarily, the Old and the New Testament talk about our relationship to our Heavenly Father as a son, as a daughter. That intimate relationship, when we go back uh, to creation, as I mentioned earlier, we see how God, we belong to him. He said, let let us make man in our image, in our likeness. And he stooped down and he created man from the dust of the earth, breathed with his own breath, and man became a living soul. This this shows us the, the intimacy between man and God, God and man. And so in each of these parables, the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost son, Christ is teaching us about the character of God and how close he is to man, this oneness between the father and the son. Now, this is not the end of the parable. Many, many times when I've heard this parable being preached, being taught, this is, this is the part that we focus on, but there's actually a second part to the parable, which we don't hear that often, because really, in this parable, we deal with the story of two sons. We have the younger son, and we have the older son. The younger son is the prodigal son. He goes away, he lives, and wastes all the goods, but then he returns to his father, and his father takes him in as his son. Then the second part of the parable deals with the older brother. Now let's read this part in verse 25. We'll pick it up in verse 25. Luke chapter 15 and verse 25. The Bible says, now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. Look at the response of the older brother, verse 28. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. You see how, again, the father takes the first step? It is always the heavenly father that is making the first step when it comes to your and my salvation. He finds us where we are. And so he's reaching out to, to, his older, uh, to the older son. And look at verse 29. So he answered and said to his father, this is the older brother responding, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I have never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I may make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, he doesn't call him his brother, this son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots you killed the fatted calf for him and he said to him look at the response of the father verse 31 son you are always with me and all that i have is yours it was right that we should make mary and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found now if you look at this conversation and we can learn so much about the character of god You see, the father in this parable, of course, is the God character, the the heavenly father. The the older brother, I think it pictures many of us. Uh, If you have grown up in a Christian home and, and, and you have really never went out there in the world... This parable, this parable of the older brother is, is, is speaking about a lot of Christians going to church every week, but not having that living, dynamic relationship with their Heavenly Father. As a matter of fact, the kind of relationship they have with their Father is a servant relationship. 
Because what does the older brother say? He says, I have served you all these years, and I didn't even get a, a goat. And now this son of yours gets the fatted calf. You see, the relationship that the older brother has with the father, from his perspective, is this servant relationship. This is what I've done, and I'm not even getting paid for what I've done. And there are many Christians in the world today, they go to church, you know, they pay their money to the church, they, they, they live through these motions of, of, of Christianity, and yet deep inside, there's this relationship to the Father of, I've done all of this, what are you going to do for me in return? This is the older brother. The fascinating thing about these three parables is that in the first parable, the lost sheep is found. In the second parable, the lost coin is found. In the third parable, the prodigal son is found. But in the second part of the third parable, we don't know the end of the story. It's an open end. It's an unfinished parable. So the, the, the sheep is found, the coin is found, the prodigal son is found. But what about the older brother? The parable abruptly ends, and we don't know if that older brother actually went in to that feast and experienced the joy of his brother being found. We don't know. The rest of this story, I think in many ways, uh, uh, many of us will be able to relate to this parable. We might have uh, grown up in a Christian home and never really left uh, the, the Christian faith to live uh, riotously in this world. And yet we know deep inside that there's something missing. There's something that, that, that is just not there. It's a servant relationship and we long for something more. And that's something more you and I can receive. We can, we can take hold of it. As a matter of fact, the second part of the, of, of the parable here, dealing with the older brother, in many ways, it is a picture of the church in the days in which we are living. As a matter of fact, if you keep your finger in Luke chapter 15, turn with me to the book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible. And in Revelation chapters 2 and 3, we have a portrayal of the, what we call the seven churches. In Revelation 2 and 3, we have this incredible big picture. It's like a bird's perspective of the Christian church throughout time from the time of the apostles, the early church, after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus, all the way till the last church or the, the final movement of God in the last days of earth's history. And so it's an incredible study. We don't have time to study all of that tonight, but Revelation 2 and 3 is seven letters written to seven destinations, seven churches that lead us through throughout the Christian history from the time of the apostles to the end of time. And when you look at the final description, the seventh letter, which is the letter to the church of Laodicea, it depicts the condition of Christianity at large in the very day and age in which we live. And when you look at the description of the seventh church, the description of the Laodicean church, it is incredibly, has incredibly similar uh, characteristics to the older brother in the parable of Luke chapter 15. Take notice of the scenario here in Revelation chapter 3, and I'll begin reading in verse 14. Revelation chapter 3, this is the letter to the church of Laodicea. And we read, And to the angel of the church of Laodiceans write, These things say, says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. Here Jesus is introducing himself to the last church and he introduces himself as the creator, the creator. And we have already seen that through creation we belong to him. 
Now look at what it says in verse 15. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy of me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich, and white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with the eye self that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. And look at, what, look at what it says in verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him. Or some translations say, and sup with him and he with me. What does Jesus want to do with this church? Jesus wants to come into their lives, into their experiences, and he wants to sup with, him, with them. He wants to dine with them. Isn't it interesting? In the parable of Luke chapter 15, the older brother was standing outside. There was a feast going on. There was a meal that was being, that was, was, was being an event that was being celebrated, a meal that was being enjoyed, and the older brother would not go in, Right? He wouldn't go in to sup with his father. Here the invitation to the Laodicean church is, come and sup with me. Jesus wants to sup with his people. He wants to dine with his people. He wants to come close to them and experience that relationship with them. But they feel content with their condition. They don't feel the need. As a matter of fact, it says in, in Revelation chapter 3, very Sadly, it says in verse 17, describing this Laodicean church, they are saying, I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing. And they do not know that they are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. They are not aware of their spiritual condition. They think everything's okay. Just like the older son, he says, hey, I've worked all this time. There's, I, I'm doing fine. Now, this is the most difficult condition for God to work with. You know, you have the lost sheep, you have the lost coin, you have the prodigal son, and the outcome is that they are lost but found, lost but found, lost but found. But what about the second son? What about the older brother? What about the church of Laodicea? What about, I mean, the times in which we are living, my friends, are serious because we are now in this moment of earth's history, we have come to such a time as this and yet we're in the most difficult condition for God to save. And yet he's reaching out with love. He's reaching out with compassion. He's coming close. It is like the father inviting the older brother and saying, all I have is yours. Come in. Rejoice with me. It's an invitation. Here Jesus in the seventh letter to the Laodiceans is inviting them to open the door. He's standing and knocking. The invitation is to open that door. The invitation is for us to have a paradigm shift in our thinking regarding our relationship with the Father, to understand that He is the one that takes the first step, to understand that He is a closed God and not some distant God in the corner of the universe, but this God that comes close and that wants to be part of us, part of our experience. And He's knocking on the door. And the question is if we will open up that door if we will allow him to come in, what will happen if we allow him to come in? 
verse 21 and 22 in Revelation chapter 3 says, To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It's the invitation of a heavenly Father that wants more than anything else to commune with us and to enter into our story, enter into our experience and make us his sons and his daughters to restore the image of God in us. That's what he has done from the very beginning. We are created with the image of God. That image of God has been marred through sin. It has been lost trace of throughout the centuries of, of, of departing from the word of God and the, and the principles of God. And here we are in the end of time on the, on the verge of the second coming of Jesus Christ, living in a time that we look around us and, and, and there are millions and millions and billions of people that know nothing about the character of God. Oh, they have ideas about what he is like, and they've been taught many things about him, but really an understanding of the biblical picture of God that was revealed in Scripture? No idea. And so you and I are called, first and foremost, to experience the character of God, entering into this relationship with him, going into that feast, so to speak, and then in turn to go out and invite others to become part of this, to see the beauty of God's character, to experience His presence in their lives. And I don't know tonight if you are that lost sheep or you're that lost coin or that prodigal son or maybe the older brother. I do not know. But each of us can, can find ourselves in one of those parables, if not more than one. Sometimes your experience might be that you're some of this and some of that. Uh, but each of us, all humanity can find themselves somewhere in Luke chapter 15. And the question is, will we respond to the call of God? He has made the first step. Will we respond to that call? And will we enter into that saving relationship with Him so that we can enjoy His presence? And not only enjoy His presence, but experience His transforming power in our lives so that He can make us into what He has always wanted to make, make us, and that is in his image he wants to look at you and see something of himself in you that you are reflecting the character of god and the glory of god and so in this in this first study tonight i hope we have set the stage for what we're going to do throughout this series of presentations and that is we're going to try to discover we're going to endeavor to explore our identity and mission for such a time as this and I believe by this, this parable in Luke chapter 15, we have a good start. We see that we belong to God. Whether we are that lost sheep, the lost coin, the prodigal son, the older brother, whichever uh, story is ours, we see that we belong to him. The sheep belong to the shepherd. The coin belonged to the woman. The two sons belonged to the father. And you and I belong to the heavenly father. Amen? And so let us understand that identity that we have, the identity of sonship, sons and daughters of the king of the universe. When we understand that identity, it will give us power to also bring a mission, to be a, a missionary, to bring a, a message of hope to those around us. So in closing, I would like to pray with you and um, let us ask the Lord that he will do this in our experience, that we may enter um, 
out, that we may step out of the loudest seen condition and into the saving grace of Jesus Christ. So I invite you to stand together with me as we close with a word of prayer tonight. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for being with us tonight. We thank you so much, Lord, for speaking to our hearts through your word and through your Holy Spirit. Lord, as we have examined some of the parables in Luke chapter 15, powerful teachings that your son Jesus gave 2,000 years ago and yet are so relevant for us today, we realize, Lord, that we have strayed from you in many ways and that, Lord, there is this longing in our hearts to come back to you. We know that you have made the first step in searching for us as you speak to our hearts and bring conviction to us. Lord, thank you that we can rejoice in you as, we find, as, as you find us and as we find you and as we embrace you, Lord. I pray that we may experience that joy that is revealed in these parables, the joy of the shepherd when he found the sheep, the joy of the woman when she found the coin, the joy of the father when the prodigal son returned. And Lord, whatever, in whatever condition we find ourselves, in whatever situation we find ourselves, may we understand the joy that we can have by entering into that communion with you, entering into that relationship with you. And Lord, even if some of us here can relate to the older brother, may the end of the parable not be that we will stand outside, but they will enter into the joy, enter into that communion with you, Lord. We, as Laodicean church, do not want to remain in a Laodicean condition, but we want to experience the gifts that you have for us. And so, Father, we pray for revival, we pray for reformation, and we pray that you will do something in our hearts that we cannot do for ourselves. We thank you so much for being with us in this first study, and we look forward to the blessings that you have in store for us throughout this series. And I pray that your spirit may guide us, and we thank you that you have been with us so far. For these things we pray in the precious name of Jesus Christ, and for his sake we pray. Amen. If this episode impacted you, please share it with others. Amazing Discoveries is a donor-supported ministry. To help us keep producing content like this, visit AmazingDiscoveries.org. And, as always, you can find the visual presentation of this episode on ADTV.watch.